These may be challenging times, but have hope and listen to the untold health stories about incredible people who have committed their lives to better their communities. Diverse health activists, direct medical providers, community organizers that are helping our communities to get healthier and stronger. Stories of local heroes during the pandemic and even before that proves over and over again that people can come together during times of need and make the world a better place. Stories you would never hear of, except at Healthcare Untold, hosted by Barbara Ann Garcia. So um, today um, at Healthcare Untold, uh, we were so honored to have Jasmine Nahara, who's our co-host at Healthcare Untold, Gerardo Sandoval, who's our incredible producer uh, for Healthcare Untold. And we're kind of announcing today, you know, not only Jasmine as our new co-host um, and eventually hosting her own show in the near future, uh, but also Hidalgo, who also tried to uh, come up with some great ideas. He's a wonderful creator and producer of shows. And so we have some great ideas uh, coming soon for the listening audience. And today we're just going to we'll have our producer and our co-host Jasmine Nahira um, to talk about what the future of healthcare untold and some of our ideas are. But what we want to do is start developing different shows for healthcare untold. Um, Gerardo has an idea of doing one, and I thought uh, maybe we could do something called Good News Latino, and that we we talk about good news for Latinos, right? So and we find things that we just talk about, and we'll take it off from there. We can, and I, I would, I think the three of us could do that, and it would be fun, right? Like and then that. Gerardo, you had one called Latino Problem, Latino Solution. There you go. So, so then when you think about Healthcare Untold as a company, we're going to have a bunch of things that are going to happen to it, right? Um, and I would love for us to acknowledge the, um, the mentorship piece of that, right? That a lot, of these, um, a lot of these folks that we are creating that network around, right? Exactly. And I can even talk about that for myself because one of the ways I learned how to mentor was mentoring. I got mentored. I was a mentee for many people. That's how I started my career. Who was your original mentor, Barbara? I had um, college students from uh, Cal State Long Beach. I was about 14. I started working at a community center and it was the East Long Beach Neighborhood Center. And I started working in the pantry, the food pantry. Um, and then they hired all these uh, Chicano uh, activists to start doing summer programming. And so I worked at the neighborhood centers from I was 14 to 21. And they basically said, you know, you're going to you're gonna go to school. And I did all kinds of programs. I did a bilingual bicultural school. I ran my own youth program. Um, and um, there were mural projects, and then I ran the summer lunch program, which then I eventually ran for Watsonville. Um, so, so I was 14 when I got my first job, and I never even considered I was going to college. I didn't even know what that was, right? So, mm -hmm. And, and so, they really, uh -huh. go ahead. And they really emphasized to me the importance of they were giving something to me, and it was my job to share that with others as I did my own career. Right. Well, my first mentor, I think before, if I go back into high school, was probably just in general, the, um, the staff at Barrios Unidos, where I volunteered time and that kind of opened up my eyes to a whole other set of 
of challenges and issues in a whole other community. But for my first county job, it, I was a summer youth employment counselor. And that's where I met Gerardo. We were both summer youth employment counselors for the county way back in 1996-ish, maybe? Maybe 94, five, I don't know. Okay, well, give or take a couple of years, our memory isn't the (laughs) greatest. Yeah, yeah. But that's where you and I had out of the work to process all of the applications that the youth were submitting to the Employment Development Department to get summer jobs. And that year we were hosting all of these youth to work at nonprofit organizations in city departments through through the city of Watsonville. And so our job, once they we went through them and hired all the kids and placed them, then was to support them where, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the biggest program, I think, was there at Salud para la Gente. Yeah. And so you were actually there. That was your mm-hmm. responsibility, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where we all then had the opportunity there where Alicia was already working with Barbara, who was the ED, and Alicia was my tia. And all of a sudden there was like this connection. Alicia kept saying, oh, you have to meet Barbara. You have to meet Barbara. And then you, you had became friends with Mario. Yeah. All the webs and the connections. Right, right, right. And you know what's so funny, Jasmine, is that um, I was a summer youth employment uh, person. Recipient, participant. But it was called Neighborhood Youth Corps. And what did you do over that job? I, that's when I worked at the neighborhood center. My brother came home one day and said, hey, I just got a janitor job. There's jobs down there. So I, I run down there. I was only 13. And the guy lied because he hired me anyway because I was going to turn July. And he said, well, we're just going to put June. And <laughs> so he hired me anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so we were all part of that uh, movement of how do you get youth employment and how important that is in terms of their development of their careers. Absolutely. Yeah, going back to the question you posed uh, earlier for me, I think um, and from what I recall, one of my teachers in high school, um, ninth grade, was my first, I could say, mentor because of the way she encouraged us to, to study and, you know, to believe in ourselves. And um, and then uh, soon after that, actually, I was 14 also, because soon after that, I started working for the Summer Youth Employment Training Program in Los Angeles. I did that through my high school years, got into college at uh, Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz. Then I knew that there was college kids working at the Summer Youth Employment Training Program. So I asked my sister, I said, hey, can you find out, can you get information where is the headquarters? So then I went and I sent my resume via my sister. And then I got hired at the, at the headquarters in LA. And then naturally, when I went back to school uh, during the school year, I said, well, they must have a summer youth employment training program up here. And so that's how I connected with you guys, you know, because through that, uh, I got hired at Salud para la Gente. I also participated in high school uh, with the, uh, the bridge program, the uh, Upward Bound, you mm-hmm. know, um, but it was Barbara who was also instilled in me and encouraged me to like work community and you know, and so anyhow, that's that's how we ended up here together. Well, right. and shortly after that, I also took your class, Barbara, in community studies at UCSC as a student. And then you took an, I don't know, I feel like I was super special. Maybe you just did this with all the people you liked. 
<laughs> but you you provided a really amazing space for Monica and myself, right? Who yeah. were about to record. Yeah. And to have right. a professional adult stop and take interest in us as teenage Chicanas was not something that not at least a good interest, right? <laughs> like we weren't used to people creating space and supporting us. And so the fact that you did that, that stuck with us for obviously all these years. But now that we're able to still be connected and come full circle and actually do something creative together and uplift voices, that just is so fulfilling and amazing. Yeah. So and, you, you know, you were me. Right. You and Monica were me in terms of when I was growing up and people who gave me that space. Mm -hmm. And I can remember uh, and Monica may talk about this, but I can remember making her sit in my seat. Right. And I said, OK, one day you're going to be this <laughs> and you're going to be sitting behind this desk. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So I was trained early and it was really the Chicano movement uh, because many of the students uh, from Cal State Long Beach were Chicano activists. And it was the the summer of the um, of the uh, was the war against uh, Vietnam. Mm -hmm. um, I have my Chicano studies book. It's the I forget what they called it, but it, they they went to a big uh, protest in Los Angeles, and that's when Ruben Salazar was killed mm -hmm. um, during that protest. And um, because I was so young, they wouldn't let me go. So I had to woman the phones <laughs> so that in case anybody got arrested, that, you know, I could take the notes and stuff for them. But, um, yeah, so these uh, all these Chicano students just really took a great interest in me. And um, the Neighborhood Center, this is a, an example I talk about in terms of how demographics change and communities change. But the man, and this is where the circle in San Francisco comes, the man who... Um, was the executive director. Uh, his name is Rod Martin. He was trained by the Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church in San Francisco uh, from Cameron House. And I never kind of connected the dots till I was working in San Francisco. And one of my staff members says, so where are you from? And I said, Long Beach. She goes, oh, Longle. I used to work at the neighborhood center in Long Beach. And I was like, wait a minute, no, you didn't, because I worked there, right? And we both, <laughs> both of our mentors was Rod, right? And so it was a big circle. So these things aren't coincidental, right? So circles happen and people connect and these are lifetime connections, mm -hmm. right? When you are able to really support young people coming through their careers. Well, and some of us are lucky enough to have that within our own families where, you know, there's people in our families that we want to, follow in their footsteps. And that was definitely the case for me with Alicia and, and the shaping and support from my theas. But, um, you know, not everybody is that lucky. And so the idea of mentors or anchors that we are able to establish or that show up in our lives when we least expect it, but actually save us and help us, you know, along the way. And I think that that's why it's so significant when we actually are lucky enough to have mentors in our life to have built those relationships and fostered those relationships, right? And so then I think 
for us collectively in a way like I see us creating the space, right, for other folks, you know, and maybe like when we were younger, we didn't hear all these voices. We didn't have this space to create and uplift the voices that we choose, that we believe are important to us in our community. So the opportunity to do that, there's a big responsibility in that and a big gift in that as well, right, to be able to just provide a safe place for people to talk about what's important to them and their communities. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I want to piggyback on something you said earlier, Jasmine, and I think that's where my idea for a show called uh, Latino Problem, Latino Solution, um, and where we'll focus on those that are creating and producing, because you're right, the more we produce, the more we're out there. And I think that's important. Uh, and it's one way to write history right now is via these social audio productions and social video productions. Um, and I think that's where I'm headed with this idea of Latino problem, Latino solution, interested in those in our communities that are solving a problem in our Latino communities. And anywhere from a good author responding to what's happening in his community to, to a good artist uh, via uh, his artwork or his or her music. So, so focusing on, on Latinos in their communities that are providing solutions for their communities. Well, and I think that's why we created Healthcare Untold was to really provide a venue. You know, I look at MSNBC, CNN, I never see us. I never hear our voices. Uh, and there's so many of us in our communities. And you can go from artists to, um, you know, teachers to politicians to, I mean, today, you know, this whole thing on the Capitol, there was a Latino congressperson. And it was so nice to see a brown face up there, right? Well, and how important is that in this time where people are trying to whitewash our history? and erase our history, right? They can't erase words that are recorded, you know? And so I think that this is also, you know, solidifying our histories in a place that can't be touched per se, you know? That we have control over that um, library, let's say. Yeah, and I think that's what's important. I think um, you mentioned something that's key. It's honoring mm -hmm. ourselves and our people in our communities. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was really interested, Gerardo, on um, um, potentially the three of us who will do a program called uh, Good News Latinos. And, you know, one of the things that we have to do is just keep positive. And there was a new L.A. article that talked about the optimism that Latinos have. And I do believe that we do come from a very optimistic point of view. Um, and, you know, the country needs us right now. And, you know, the, with the browning of America, um, America is going to be so lucky to have so many optimistic Latinos who are entrepreneurs and hard workers willing to, um, you know, really do the hard jobs to create uh, wealth for their families and uh, incredible products for communities and um, art artistry, like what, you know, you just talked about, Hidalgo, in terms of looking at uh, how to honor uh, so many of our community members who are, are contributing to, um, you know, the foundation of our community. And so, you know, if um, one of our um, guests on our um, podcast talked about either you have a seat at the table or you're on the menu. And uh, I think that we're trying to create a big table for uh, our voices to be heard. 
Uh, and, you know, when you look at COVID-19 and the uh, tremendous impact it has had on our community with sickness and death, and you don't hear the voices, you don't hear what happened, um, we do not want history not to hear what happened to us. And so Healthcare and Toad is really about bringing and uh, saluting and honoring um, uh, many, 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 many community organizers and community organizations. You know, we've had community organizations in major cities and even in rural cities like Watsonville um, with 40 years of experience, you know, and they kind of came out of the 60s and the 70s. Um, and they're still active and they're still alive. And so, you know, um, trying to honor them, we, we're creating history by doing that. So let's, uh, let's hear from you, Jasmine, regarding um, your shows coming up. So something that's really important to me and, you know, if I ever have the opportunity is to uplift stories and support individuals that are really trying to make change in our communities. And oftentimes being a leader of the organizations that serve our communities can be a very isolating, lonely place. And especially add on top of that, if you are a person of color in, in leadership, there's very few, you know, you look around and it's lonely at top. And so I'm really invested in the idea of um, providing safe place for our leaders and the idea of providing healing spaces for our leaders and, um, and really building this network where people feel like they're united and connected. And I think that through telling our stories as leaders, as community-based organizations, as communities and, you know, parts of the state and parts of the country, we can really build that network and build those bridges to, to unify us because there is more power in numbers. And if we can contribute to holding space, not that, you know, we have all the stories, we want to uplift those voices and share some of our experiences and stories to help make broader change. And Anytime that we have a venue to use our voices or share other folks' voices and experiences, I think that that's a real gift and opportunity. So I'm excited to be a part of this. And Watsonville is one of those amazing spaces that is really, we can take like a snapshot of in time. And a lot of times we're doing kind of the same work just at different periods in time. But what I do believe about Watsonville being such a unique community that's primarily Latino based in an agricultural you know, community. But with Watsonville is a very, Watsonville is a very unique community, right? And so to be able to focus on some of the stories here, I think that there are stories to tell. And I think that after the pandemic, especially, Watsonville leaders really um, were invested in doing what was right for the folks that were going to be most uh, affected. And those are our farm workers, our, you know, our folks that are working in the grocery stores. And a lot of those folks, they kept us fed, right? We were able to stay at home because they fed us. And so here in this community, we value that. And so we wanted to highlight, you know, those stories of those leaders that made decisions that was really best for the community versus individuals and organizations. And so that's why I want to really focus on the Watsonville stories. That's beautiful. Healthcare Untold 